Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, это Prevail, и ваш ведущий Грег Олег. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show for you today. Celia Anaskovich is here, documentary filmmaker and host of the podcast called Spy Affair on Wondery, all about Maria Butina. We're going to get to that. This thing is unbelievable, this podcast. It's, it's a serialized thing. And yeah, we'll talk about it in a minute, but it, it is astonishing that this exists. As soon as I heard it, I wanted to have her on ask her questions. What I want to talk about first is the insurrection. Again, I know everybody's tired of it, but Republicans keep lying about it. They keep trying to change the narrative. They keep gaslighting us. And they've done this since the very beginning, since the first day that Trump was in office. In his first briefing, his very first briefing as White House press secretary, Sean Spicer told us a whopper. The size of the crowd at President Trump's inauguration, he claimed, was the biggest of all time. Bigger than President Obama's. Now, we all watched the inauguration, or at least seen the pictures on the TV. What he was telling us was demonstrably untrue. It's a flat-out lie. And yet Sean Spicer insisted that Trump's delusional assessment was the truth. Now, this is what gaslighting is. It's called gaslighting from the film Gaslight. The lies are so pervasive and so relentless that we begin to doubt our own version of reality. What was significant about Spicer's first day wasn't how many people showed up at Trump's sad, mobbed-up swearing-in event. It's that Trump, through his rumpled mouthpiece in the White House briefing room, was never going to tell the truth, even about trivial things that we knew from our own two eyes were bullshit. Over Trump's four years in office, the lies became more consequential, the gaslighting more refined. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was better at it than Spicer. Kaylee McEnany turned it into an art form. The disinformation continued, bolstered by Fox News and Newsmax, OAN, Alex Jones, Facebook and Twitter, and Trump's Republican enablers. And the lies never stopped. Trump never came clean. 
He never told the truth about the sparse inauguration crowd. He never told the truth about his campaign's many contacts with high-placed Russians, including key Russian intelligence officers. He never told the truth about his taxes. He never told the truth about his inheritance, the source of his wealth, his true net worth, his multiple bankruptcies, his outstanding debt, or his curious relationship with Deutsche Bank. He never told the truth about his wife Melania's immigration history, how his piece of Slovenian arm candy happened to obtain an Einstein visa, or how her parents, Communist Party hardliners, were allowed to take up residence here. He never told the truth about his health. He never admitted to not being 6'3". He never admitted to being clinically obese. He never revealed why he was rushed to Walter Reed that day in 2019. He never told the truth about the dozens of women he sexually assaulted, harassed, abused, raped. He never told the truth about his relationship to organized crime. Not that anyone in the Beltway press thought to ask. He never told the truth about his relationship with Vladimir Putin. How often they talked, what they discussed, why he allowed those Russian jackals into the Oval Office the day after he fired Jim Comey, why he kept trying to steal away with Putin at the various international summits, why he took Putin's word over that of the U.S. intelligence community, why he appeared in Helsinki at the twerp side with the slavish bearing of the gimp from Pulp Fiction. He never told the truth about Ukraine. He never told the truth about the pandemic response. He never told the truth about the results of the election. And he will never tell the truth about the besieging of the Capitol on January 6th, or about his role in the insurrection, the coup, the worst attack on our democracy since Booth shot Lincoln. But all politicians lie, you might counter. Not true. All politicians spin. And there's a difference. Gaslighting is not spin. And it is toxic to the republic. Just as all mid-90s baseball players felt the need to do steroids after the chemically enhanced success of Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds and the tacit approval of this cheating by the feckless commissioner of baseball, Bud Selig, so all Republican lawmakers find it politically necessary to gaslight, to ape the technique of their party's bloated overlord, Donald John Trump, to tell the truth about something as basic and obvious as, oh, the results of the November 9th election, or the January 6th insurrection is to be shunned, as Liz Cheney found out. Removed from her position in the party leadership, Cheney was replaced by amoral mercenary Elise Stefanik. Stefanik lacks even a sousson of scruple, and has demonstrated a willingness to do anything, lie, gaslight, Jim Jordan, to obtain power. Unlike her house colleague Marjorie Taylor Greene, who clearly suffers from mental illness of some kind, Stefanik is a cold, calculating creature who elbowed her way into the GOP mosh pit willingly, eagerly, and with her murine eyes wide open. That means that, as Heather Cox Richardson points out, the top four House Republican leaders, McCarthy, Scalise, Stefanik, and Policy Committee Chair Gary Palmer, all voted to overturn Biden's 2020 victory after the January 6th attack on the Capitol. When the party's leadership are all liars and sedition sympathizers, when the GOP has gone full Vichy, when the lone attempt at truth-telling is met with expulsion, how can rank-and-file Republicans do anything but continue the onslaught of gaslighting? They gaslight because to tell the truth is to admit that members of their own party, including their lame-duck president, tried to overthrow the will of the American people to topple democracy. 
But that's exactly what happened. Yes, Virginia, there really was an insurrection on January 6th. It was planned in advance. It was encouraged by a number of Republican lawmakers. Mo Brooks, Paul Gosar, Andy Biggs, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Lauren Boebert, and others. As the video journalist Sandy Bacon, an eyewitness, has documented, the besiegers were led by generals with bullhorns, and the lines of defense were shamefully, negligently, treasonously insufficient. The besiegers took Nancy Pelosi's office. They vandalized it. They terrorized her staff. They stole her laptop. Do I really need to spell out what these lusty disciples of the serial rapist-in-chief would have done to the Speaker? Or Vice President-elect Kamala Harris? Or AOC? Had they had the opportunity? Fact check. Anti-gaslighting fact check. January 6th was a planned putsch, a coordinated attack on our democracy, which took place with Trump's knowledge and blessing. Trump lost the election, bigly, by 7 million votes. Jared Kushner greenlighted a blue state genocide because he thought he could blame the COVID-19 deaths on Democratic governors and help Trump in the election. And also he wanted to make a buck. Trump tried to extort the president of Ukraine, hoping that an investigation into the Bidens would help his election chances. To do this, he threatened to withhold U.S. aid. Putin owns Trump. The son of a mob frontman, Trump has been a creature of organized crime his entire life. The only reason he hasn't been caught is because he's a confidential informant for law enforcement. Trump is a serial rapist. Trump suffered a serious malady that caused him to be whisked to Walter Reed. His health is imperiled by his drug abuse, his poor diet, and his morbid obesity. Melania Trump is no Albert Einstein. Trump is a serial bankrupt who squandered his ample inheritance and is massively in debt. The audit was always bullshit. Trump's campaign had numerous contacts with Russian nationals, including Russian intelligence officers who specialize in election fuckery. And oh yeah, Obama's was bigger. We'll be right back with Celia Anaskovich. Do you have no marketable skills of any kind? Do you enjoy showing out in fancy togs but get bummed out that your YouTube channel only has 23 subscribers? Are you passed over for jobs because one of your best friends is a notorious child sex trafficker and arms dealer? Then maybe being a royal is the career for you. As a royal, you'll attract millions of IG followers just for wearing silly hats at Ascot. Even a junior royal can earn millions of pounds a year with unlimited weeks of paid holiday. Plus, sex trafficking and arms dealing are not fully tolerated. They may even be part of the job. There are expected vacancies, so apply today. Send your CV, headshot, and detailed family tree going back to the time of the Conqueror II. Royal Recruiters, Buckingham Palace, London, Royals. Some tosses going to be one. Why not you? Okay, so my next guest, Celia Anaskovich, is a documentary filmmaker, and she's the host and the producer and put together this podcast called Spy Affair, which is all about Maria Butina. And I'm going to play right now, before we bring her in, I just want to play the trailer that she made 
so you get a taste of what it is that I listen to and why I wanted to have her come on here and talk. In 2015, Maria Butina was on her way to the happiest place on earth. And Maria is in the front seat with her long, 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 bright orange hair, wearing Minnie Mouse ears on top. Maria was a political activist. She seemed to be sort of a controversial figure in Russia. But after a long day at Disney World, she was just another happy tourist. Maria said, now I understand the true meaning of happiness. But a few years later, everything people thought they knew about Maria Butina would be thrown into question. Investigators claim she was a covert agent funded by a Russian oligarch with close ties to the Kremlin. A web of sex and lies connected accused Russian spy Maria Butina to American political operatives. From Wondery, the makers of The Shrink Next Door and Over My Dead Body, this is Spy Affair, a story about deception. She said, Dr. Byrne, why I'm really here is I've actually been sent from Russia to make contact with you. A story about appearances. Red-haired Russian spy. I mean, it all fits in so perfectly. Prosecutors claim Maria Butina was secretly sent by the Russian Federation to infiltrate political candidates and the NRA. And about the consequences of trusting the wrong person. Spy is not the word that came to me. Victim is the word that came to me. Everybody kind of just did this whole, oh, I wasn't involved, I didn't know her. If I were to ask you, who are you, Maria? I am still the same person, regardless of what happened. Just became a little bit stronger. I'm Celia Anaskovich. Spy Affair is out now on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. I still do believe that Russia and America should be friends, but this time, from the Russian side, we will put AK-47 on the table. It makes the conversation easier. Okay, I am here with Celia Anaskovich, who produced the podcast Spy Affair, which is like, it's so blowing my mind, I can't even. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to chat about this, uh, yeah, crazy story. It, it, I can't, I'm just, I can't wrap my brain around the fact that this even exists. Like, I can't even. Because we were talking before we hit the record button about Twitter and how Twitter works and how it's weird and how it's not weird. But one of the things that Twitter and social media in general has done is it's penetrated or knocked down the wall between people that you're, you know, reporting on and people that are doing the reporting in a way that we don't just wasn't there before. Like there was a time four years ago when people would tweet at Michael Cohen, for example, and he would just write back and you'd be like, Oh, Michael Cohen just wrote back. And I did a, um, a thread a couple of years ago about Vladimir Putin and his relationship to organized crime and I mentioned Felix Sater in the thread and I said that he was charming, but you know, maybe not so. And he DM'd me and he was like, thank you for calling me charming. But you know, <laughs> some of the stuff that you got isn't exactly right. I was like, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna go away now. <laughs> so there's this, this sense of, of one, but, but to see a tweet is one thing. You've managed to go through 
and gotten all these people somehow to record their stories and then splice it together. So for anybody listening that doesn't know, Spy Affair is basically about Maria Butina and the whole saga of her story. And much of the story is told by Maria Butina, which is, I, I just, like I said, I can't, I, I still can't believe this exists. So that's the first question. Like, what was the impetus for this and how did you begin? Yeah, so, I mean, it is even for me, having made it a little crazy to look at it and think about all the people that are in it and that they're all sort of together in the same space. Yeah! <laughs> that is a little nuts. You know, the idea that you have Pete Strzok and Patrick Byrne in the same space is a little much. <laughs> I'm boggling, um, but I'm, uh, you know, so thrilled that we did get so many different voices, you know, in the series. And I think, so I should start by saying, you know, I am a uh, documentary director and producer by trade. I am not uh, a podcast person necessarily. No um, one is a podcast person. <laughs> correct. That's yeah. true. Um, but so I, but I like to talk about that too, because I, I am not a journalist. You know, I know you're also, you're a novelist, you know, our, our, right. our bread and butter is, is storytelling. So I, I, I consider sort of how to tell the story before I necessarily think about what is what happened on X date at X time. And I, you know, I think my brain works a little bit differently. And so I, um, the story I always tell about how this story came to be, because it's just a hilarious story, is that a good friend of mine, uh, Lizzie L. Marsh, was literally having labor pains uh, and called me up and said, there's this article about this girl named Maria. I think you'd really like it. And so we always track the, the, the shelf life of the story by the age of her son, Miles, because as Miles was coming into the world, we were learning about a girl named Maria. And I mean, she was spot on. You know, I, I, I read more about Maria. I didn't, I sort of had a, a cursory understanding of, of her and her name from, you know, the, the press, but didn't quite frankly know much about her. Um, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a politics junkie. You know, I'm not someone who's sitting around watching political news. And so, you know, I, I decided I wanted to go see, visit Maria Butina, which sounds strange, I guess, but in my line of work is not that strange to go visit someone in prison. Um, so, you know, I talked to her attorney and, you know, I've told the story before, but went down, we had a nice um, barbecue lunch in, in Virginia and I uh, prepared to see her the next day in prison and got, you know, my, my prison allotted 20 minutes with Maria. And, and yeah, that's sort of, sort of how it all started. You know, I think I went into that meeting with her with a lot of questions and left with a lot of questions. Right, sure. <laughs> um, and, and Maria is... Uh, she's tricky. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's, but, but not just in the ways that we know she's tricky. She, uh, she has a demeanor that is, is very different than my demeanor. I, I'm a sort of inherently, I think, kind of warm and bubbly person. I like to talk to people. I get excited by people. It doesn't take a lot <laughs> to get me interested. Maria is, is level. She, she doesn't get excited easily. I mean, she was also in prison at the time that we met, you know, there's not a lot to get excited about. Um, she's, she was tired. She looked malnourished, but she is very serious. And so that was something to sort of contend with. And I, you know, I, I continued to talk to Maria. She would call me when she could, you know, I would answer when I could, and, and I would, I would try to get to know Maria, the person, you know, I think coming from, a documentary background and being a storyteller, I was less interested in 
you know, why did you tweet this? Or what was the reason for this? But more, who are you as a person? Um, and that was also, I felt like what was missing from the coverage. You know, there was this whole international scandal around this person. And I felt like I had no idea who this person was. And so to start, I had to start by trying to understand who she was. Yeah, and I think you did that really well. And and it's, you fall into this trap, not you, we, one, me, reading this stuff, you're like, oh, she's a spy, she's the, you know, they're working for Russia, da, da, da. But everybody has different reasons for the reason that they're doing what they're doing. You know, it's not a monolith. And I think a lot of conspiratorial stuff, the mistake that people make in conspiracy theory is ascribing the same motive to a mixed bag of people. I mean, if you have four people in a room, they can't agree on where to go to dinner generally. So like the idea that these super duper rich and powerful people are going to somehow move in lockstep all the time to undermine this, that, or the other is probably not the right way to do it. And you're right. There wasn't much in the coverage about her as a person. There's just facts about her life that kind of went in there. Okay. She's born in Siberia. She sold furniture for some reason, which when I heard that she sold furniture, it made me think of the Donald Trump line. Once you grab them by the, then you buy them furniture. That was what he said, which was such a weird thing to say. So I'm like, okay, they have that in common, these two. Maybe I, I don't know what that means. And then the whole like shooting the guns thing. And then why are you want to be with all these horrible Republican men? That makes no sense if you're an interest. So she's, she's definitely a fascinating person. You mentioned before the people that you talked to that, that I was going to say appear. See, again, this is a podcast. Nobody appears. We're appearing, but nobody's going to see this. So um, here's who's in the, the podcast. Okay, there's Maria Butina. There's Patrick Byrne, who's the CEO of, or was the CEO of Overstock. We'll get to him in a minute because <laughs> I want to talk about him. Uh, Pete Strzok, who, you know, formerly of the FBI. Bill Driscoll, who's who's Maria Butina's lawyer, who's a fascinating guy to listen to. And then Lisa Nicolau, who is the Paul Erickson's good friend and wound up getting ripped off by him. And that's why he went to prison. So, you know, these are, these are big name people and you've combined the interviews with a lot of uh, news reporting at the time and stuff like that to really tell the story in, in an interesting way. And I think in a way that doesn't come in with any preconceived notions because when I first heard about this podcast, I was I was like, this is just going to be one of these, this is going to be sympathetic to her, and it's probably some plot or whatever. But then I'm listening, I'm like, no, you're just, it's really just presenting everything, and you're letting the people tell their own story and not really saying yay or nay. You're being very objective. For somebody who's not a journalist, you presented it in a very journalistic way, I thought. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and I think one of my favorite things uh, about reading the comments that people have on this podcast on iTunes, which, you know, the number one rule is don't read the comments. I love the comments. I think it's a fascinating study in, in human beings is that I'd say about half of the comments say this is liberal propaganda and the other half of the comments say this is conservative <laughs> propaganda. And I always think, you know, we've done something right if, if that's how people feel that, you know, there, yeah. there's, there's these two comments. But it's, you know, it's it's fascinating. And, and you, you also don't, ex I didn't expect some of the responses, you know, a lot of people are angry about Pete Strzok being in it. Super angry. Why? Um, <laughs> You know, he he said bad things about Trump. He cheated on his wife. How dare you trust anything he says? 
And you know, what I also love is the people, the comments that you can tell people only listen to the first or second episode, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, cause we do, we address everything about everyone. Uh, yeah. And you know, we don't, we're not trying to hide anything about Pete. We're not trying to hide anything about Patrick. And, but again, you know, we're also not trying to tell you this is right or this is wrong. What I'm really proud of and what we did was there were no experts. There were no, you know, journalists who just, you know, from afar covered the case. These were the people that were at the heart of the case. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we even have David Keane, former head of the NRA in there. You know, there's a right, lot of, right. there's a lot of people who, you know, and Carrie Johnson, I think always says it best at NPR that this story would be too hard to believe if it wasn't true. That if someone wrote this story, you'd, you know, as a novel, someone yeah. would say, absolutely not. I'm not publishing that. That could never happen. This is um, true of most things in the age of Trump, by the way, which is why I stopped bothering and just focused on this stuff. The one person who's not in it, actually, who uh, or the one group of people who are not in it uh, are the prosecutors. Um, and they did not want to be in it. Um, I guess I, uh, the FBI is in it through Pete, but the the active uh, FBI investigators on the case are also not in it. We tried really hard to get an interview with the prosecution, to get an interview with, with uh, the FBI agents that worked on the case and basically said no or didn't respond. Um, and I'm still sort of bummed about that. I, I wish we could have talked to the prosecutors on the case. Um, but I think it, it is really interesting to have all of these voices appear, as you say, or coexist, um, <laughs> because these people would never agree to coexist in a room together. <laughs> No, no, it, it, it's really remarkable. And it's funny because the Pete Strzok thing, there's a very specific reason why he appears too, of all yes. the people that you could have gotten. So it's not even like you pulled him as a random FBI guy. It's no. like, no, it had to be him for this reason. He also has a very distinctive voice. Like I've heard him now on a bunch of things and I'm like, oh yeah, that's Pete Strzok. I know, I know right. his voice now. Right. You know? Well, I always um, want people to have, have whatever personal opinions you want to have about Pete Strzok, but it doesn't change his qualifications. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't right. change, you know, what he's able to talk about. Um, exactly. Yeah. In your dealings with Maria, I assume you talked to her a bunch of times. You mentioned her being serious. What was the thing about her that surprised you the most? Maybe how much she loved Disney World. It seems <laughs> a bizarre thing to, to be the thing that surprised me the most, but... She loves Disney World. She used to, when she would write letters from jail to people, she would draw cartoons of just Disney characters on the letters. You've probably seen there's this bizarre video of her and Paul Erickson singing the Beauty and the Beast song. If you've never seen that, you should have a Google of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what surprised me about Maria and talking to the Nicolaus was so fascinating. And there's such an incredible group of that whole family. You know, I interviewed um, both Lisa and both of her daughters and feel like I got to know them a little bit and talk about a group of incredibly strong women. Um, but they also showed me a side of Maria that I hadn't seen. You know, I think it's Alexa who says her answer to the question of who is Maria Butina um, was she was someone who used people and was used by people. Um, and I think that's a really great, great answer. And I think, you know, genuinely the interactions they had with Maria that they felt were genuine, I believe they were genuine. I believe that Maria cared about them. And I believe that Maria, you know, we are, none of us are one dimensional, right. <laughs> you know, we even, even the worst, I, I just, I worked on a series that just came out last night, actually on Vice about the DC sniper shootings. Um, and we interviewed Lee Malvo from prison uh, oh, and wow. his, his voice narrates the films. And I think, you know, that was a tough decision. And I think a lot of people who haven't seen it 
um, would criticize that decision. I urge everyone to watch it because I think the victims' voices come through. But I think what it also shows, and, and I feel this way as a filmmaker, that that no one is uh, no one is their worst day or their best day. And you know, not that my intention was never to, you know, create a piece that would say, "Oh, feel bad for Maria." <laughs> Right, um, right. But I do think, you know, I would be remiss in not letting the people who got to know her as a person talk about that. Because, I mean, you know, I, I got to know Maria, but as much as you can get to know someone that you meet through clouded glass in, in a jail. Right. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I was not her friend. I was not running off to Disney World with her. Um, but I think she, yeah, God, she loves Disney World so much. <laughs> I, Disney Disney stuff has a it, you can never tell which people are going to be into Disney like the, it, it seems to be something that permeates all people everywhere and you can never tell which people among your friends or anybody else it might be some super hipster person that like oh no I love Disney blah 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 it, it, it's weird almost and it's very culty I think but you know I I never been to Disney World before fairly recently and we went I don't know two three years ago when when Trump was president we went really is kind of place is kind of astonishing i mean i'm not breaking any news here but it's much bigger than i thought and really well run and clean and you know i get it i, I totally get it but especially coming from siberia or whatever you know that must must feel like you know pretty nice I, my sense is that a lot of people that like the the theme park places come from from maybe homes where they they don't like their home life so much that's what i would take from from maria specifically loving Disney yeah. so much, you know. There's this interesting picture in Maria's book of her as a little kid in Minnie Mouse ears, like a four or five year old kid. And you think, oh my gosh. And I told her when she when she mailed me the book, I said, Maria, this this picture. She was like, I know. Uh, I'm always shocked by who are Disney people. And I, I do think it's sort of cultish. It's this yeah. odd. It's a little uh, bit yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, guys. Sorry if you're listening and you like Disney. I get it. I get it. Just... I, I I love Epcot. Give me a you know tour around the world at Epcot any day. There's something magical about it. But I'm not sure you could convince me to you know get married at Disney and, and do all of that. Or live in Celebration, Florida, or whatever. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm cringing now. I have to I have to purge. I'm lighting sage. We're we're gonna sage the laptop. I'm former FBI Assistant Director Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first-of-a-kind podcast, we'll sit down with active-duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Homicides, sexual assaults, missing persons, and unidentified human remains. Somehow a computer could solve crimes. 93 homicides. I am one of those guys that I've wanted to be an FBI in since I was six years old. M.O. His modus operandi. Busting down doors with guns drawn. But I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't much more aware of the guy sitting in a vehicle on the roadside when I'm walking my dog at night. Unsolved cases sitting in evidence rooms on shelves. They didn't want to have sex with them. They just wanted to kill someone. 
Okay, I want to talk about Patrick Byrne for a second. So I had sort of forgotten listening to the thing. And that's also what's fun about listening to the podcast is you forget the details and how they flow together and what happens in what order and when she pops up in this and that. So it's great to sort of review in that context. But I had forgotten Patrick Byrne was involved with her at all. And he's such a critical part of the podcast. And my and I think such a fascinating, like not even fascinating isn't the right word. Like you're listening to this thinking, what is going on in this guy's brain? Because he's clearly smart. You know, he's not an idiot. He clearly thinks he's the most brilliant person on earth. He's very arrogant. One of my favorite parts of the podcast is when, I don't know if you asked or something where he had to be like, you know, didn't you realize she was with Paul Erickson and that was her boyfriend? And he was like, oh, come on. He basically, you know, called him a cuck without calling him a cuck. And it, it was just the, the arrogance dripping off him was just sort of, it was amusing to me. But, and he's also, I think he says at one point, I hated Trump. I never, I never liked him. I, you know, this and that. And then to fall into the rabbit hole the way that he does, because he's so in the rabbit hole. It's like he's lost all sense of reality at this point. Like even now, as we're as we're recording this, he's bankrolling that thing that's going on in Arizona, which is flat out an attack on our democracy by, you know, tyrannical forces. But he is convinced. I mean, at least from what I got out of the podcast, he's convinced that he's right. So what do you? What's your sense of him? Without getting him in trouble, I know. I know you don't want to be mean. No, I mean, look, Patrick Byrne is fascinating. He's one of the most fascinating people I've ever spoken to. And, you know, when we started the podcast, uh, we weren't sure that Patrick was going to be in it, quite frankly. I thought in talking to people that, like, we'd be lucky to get a 30-minute burner phone call with Patrick. I, like, he was sort of underground. I wasn't sure that this... And, and Patrick gave us a lot of time. I mean, we... Oh, yeah. Like I, I probably, I'm trying to think about how many, I probably did 20 hours of interviews with Maria, but I probably did eight to 10 hours with Patrick. I mean, he, yeah. he gave us a lot. And, you know, I think to understand Patrick, you have to understand not just the Patrick today, but Patrick's whole backstory, which makes it so much more interesting. You know, the things he's predicted that people said we're crazy that actually came true. You know, like that seems mind boggling. Um, we actually, we, we interviewed, I interviewed Matt Taibbi for this podcast. Um, we ended up not including his interview in it. Um, but, but he gave some interesting um, insights partly because um, when, when Patrick decided to reveal um, some things about this whole story, he called uh, four uh, reporters to a hotel room. This has been published and, and told them about it. Matt Taibbi was one of those people. Um, and what Matt said to me, which has always stuck with me, is that Patrick Byrne will tell you five things and three of them will be true. And I think that's such a good way to understand Patrick. But I also think, you know, Patrick, this, when Patrick talks about this story, it's different than when Patrick talks about any other story that he's involved in, right? You know, when, when Patrick talks about Maria, it's different than when he talks about election hacking or when he talks about, and I, I felt that difference in interviewing him. Um, I, I, think, I think there were real feelings between yeah. Patrick and Maria. Um, I think Patrick has said and, and will say, like, I used Maria. Did Maria also use him? You know, I, who knows who was using who more? Um, I find it really fascinating 
the, the Patrick Paul dynamic because they don't really speak about each other, but they must have known <laughs> that yeah, they were, yeah. you know, but they sort of, they almost act like, I don't know anything about that guy, which is, is hard to believe. You know, I think episode six was the hardest episode by far in trying to understand how much of, you know, I, I think in, in making the podcast, it's so easy to get fascinated by Patrick and lot more Patrick and more Patrick and more Patrick, because it just, it's all too unbelievable to be true. And everything he says is really compelling. And we did give a lot of airtime to Patrick, but I was also cognizant of the fact that this was a story about Maria. And so, you know, Patrick had a lot more to say than we included. And I think Patrick was probably, probably wishes we had included more of that. But equally, I think he understood, as everyone in this podcast understood, that this was Maria's story. Some people understood that more than others. Um, but I think I said, I said it at some point, I think in a different interview, I don't completely trust anyone that I interviewed for this series. Mm, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to, to make sense of Patrick, even having talked to him for as long as I have. But, you know, I also, Patrick was, uh, Patrick is kind and decent in all of the interactions I had with him. You know, sometimes he says things that you sort of roll your eyes over. Um, but, you know, I have to say that he, he answered the questions, you know? Oh, no, he did. <laughs> and, he sure did. And, and I think he gave us more to the story than we had before. I think Patrick Byrne is a part of this story and I'm really glad that he was in it. Do I agree with everything he says? No. Do I agree with everything anybody says? No. Um, but I think it would be less of a podcast if Patrick wasn't in it. It would oh, be yeah. less of a podcast if, if any of these people weren't in it. Still wish Paul Erickson was in it, but that's, that's we'll get We'll story. get to him. The, the uh, <laughs> Rounding out the Patrick, there's a, there's a novel by Nabokov called Despair. And in the novel, the guy that's the narrator, it's he's the, you know, he's telling it first person and he meets this character that he's like, this guy is my doppelganger. He looks exactly like me in every way. And I forget, I read it a while ago, I forget the exact plot, but he he either kills the guy or he gets the guy to die so he can take the, his identity and take the money and this and that. And you're going along and you're you're sort of moving along with this guy's pace. At a certain point, towards the end of the book, you realize that they don't look alike at all and that the guy's fucking crazy. And you're just like, oh my God, this, this narrator has been completely unreliable this entire time. He's insane. And wow. And I felt like, not to give too much away here, but uh, there's an aspect of that that came, that came to mind during that last episode, which I thought you landed very, very well. Burn claims not not to give too much away because everybody I, I I'm hoping everybody will just turn this off and go listen to the thing, but uh, Burn has said that the thing that doesn't make sense of all the things he said is that he had some contact in the government who he calls Uncle Sam, and Uncle Sam told him to do this and Uncle Sam told him to do that, and it it just doesn't make any fucking it just it, it I don't know. But he sounds like he believes it, you know? So either he's being played or or he's like the guy in despair. He's just, you think he's normal. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, 
holy shit. You know what I just realized too? Overstock.com. Again, furniture. What's with furniture with these people? I didn't I make that connection. I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> Maria Butina furniture. Patrick Brown furniture. Conspiracy theory central. I like it. Everything is everything is a can can be a conspiracy theory in this story. Um, yeah, and I you know I think one other thing about Patrick is, and and we we talked a lot about this when making the podcast. You know, there's a fine line between not editorializing and letting people you know just putting in the inform- information out there and disinformation. And allowing disinformation to stand. And I think that's always a conversation we were having and trying to figure out. I'll be honest, you know, I think I pushed back more. I, I, I gave Patrick more time than I think maybe other people would have. Um, and, and part of that was, I think, I hope <laughs> that audiences, and, and it, it is sort of Maria's message at the end too. I, we don't like to give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't like to say you're intelligent enough to figure it out. I wanted to say to people, you're intelligent enough to figure it out. We're not going to spoon feed this to you. You, the, the moral of the story is, is read a little further, think a little harder, don't accept the headline. And if we're going to, that's going to be the message that I've got to practice what I preach, you know, right. and I've, I've really got to say, look, here it is. You know, I have my own opinions. You can have your own opinions. It is why I wish the government would have talked because I, you know, they can't respond to what Patrick says, but I want them to respond. You know, I got this incredible, it's framed in my house, this incredible denial from the FBI. Of we, we can either, you know, when you submit a FOIA request, we can either confirm nor deny anything yeah. about Patrick Byrne. The glow bar, um, yeah. It's classic, um, but it also makes you want to say, you know, I, I, as a documentary filmmaker, I tell a lot of tr- what we now call true crime stories and guilty people don't want to talk. And so you want to, you want to say, Hey, come, you know, like say something. It doesn't look good when you're not talking, right. but again, it's the government and, you know, they can only say so much. And it's, it's why I also think this, you know, Patrick's whole, there's a letter in a safe that'll you know, say all of this, like, we'll never be able to see that, you know, like, that's convenient. No, no, Geraldo Rivera is going to reveal it. It's with, it's in Al Capone's vault. Sure. There's, there's so much stuff that I think, you know, talking to Carrie Johnson about this was really interesting because, you know, as a journalist, she's the closest person to me sort of in looking at the story. And, you know, we both talk about all the things, torsion, God, I would have loved to interview Torsion. There's so much we don't know because I couldn't interview Torsion. Torsion is just this, you know, there's stuff that we do know. Well, Torsion's a bad, bad guy. You don't want to be anywhere near Torsion. Right. But I mean, right. Like what what would Torsion have really given us? But if if we could, you know, if we can inject, Bob Driscoll, Maria's lawyer uh, once said to me, which I think is so true. If we can inject every single person in this with truth serum and and interview them again, like what what would we get? (laughs) Yeah. And how fascinating would that be? I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that it really does sound like everybody was believed what they were saying. And yeah. particularly Byrne, you know, he's either like crazy or the best actor out there, or I, I don't know. You, you talk about not being able to figure it out because you want to believe him. And then you're like, this is, this is just, mm-hmm. no. And it's, you, you know, you mentioned the thing about the government being quiet. This is a, this is a point of frustration for me for the last four years, because the government has always been quiet. Mueller was quiet, didn't help. You know, the FBI, CIA, the the intelligence uh, community was quiet about Trump and his background, didn't help us. And now this is another thing where, you know, they could push back and actually interject some truth 
into the proceedings, quiet doesn't help. I understand why they, they, they're quiet about it. I understand why they glomar. I get it. But come on, it, it's, uh, it, it's not serving anybody at this point to be quiet about something when we need to know the goddamn truth about something that happened about an attack on our country. And, you know, we got taken over for four years. We're lucky we wrested control away. Um, on the topic of silence and people not talking, the one dude who's glaringly not in this is Paul Erickson. And if I were Paul Erickson, I would be hiding in shame and cowering in shame. But um, you did you you talked to him the one time though, right? And he didn't, but he not yeah. So what what's your what's your uh, what's your sense on him? So I called Paul Erickson. Didn't expect him to answer. I think I talked about this in the podcast. He did yeah. answer. We talked, and he I asked him if he'd like to be in the podcast. Um, of course, his his pardon came while we were making the podcast. Right. So, you know, when we started the podcast, I was trying to contact him in prison. I mean, I was hoping we could do a prison interview and he told me he'd think about it. He wrote me a confidential email that, uh, a confidential email that laid out his conditions for doing an interview um, that I will not break that confidentiality request uh, to tell you what was in it. Well, um, we can, I can, I, I remember that's in the podcast, dude. I can imagine they probably, you know, I have to hear it. I have to approve of what the set. Yeah, I, it makes sense. I, I, can, I can imagine what maybe he would have requested. I don't know if he can, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I will say that I take, you know, I take off the record requests very seriously and I, I wouldn't ever disclose what he asked, but I also um, made clear to him that I wasn't comfortable with the request. And and that was that. I, I have heard through the grapevine that he's very unhappy with the podcast, <laughs> you know, that he is, Good. You know, <laughs> he, he, he feels that, you know, again, talking about people who believe things, it's fascinating because Paul Erickson is, is, not difficult. I mean, he, he conned people out of money, uh, yeah. and, and that can be shown. <laughs> um, yet he still stands behind this belief that it's all a lie. It was all a misunderstanding. And, you know, you talk to the Nicolau family, like, those are real victims. Um, those are people who were not just conned out of money, but were emotionally manipulated, were asked to, you know, donate to, to something, to give Paul money that, that he knew, you know, had a special place to them because of a disability that Lisa Nicolau's brother had. I mean, it's just, it's, it's sort of con man 101. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I've, I've, I've interviewed and dealt with a lot of people with, with those sorts of personalities and it's, it's easy to get caught up in it. And it's, those people are good at making you feel, you know, Lisa Nicolau says, I don't know if we included it in the podcast, but she says he was the best friend I never had, mm. which is, yeah. I think a really interesting way of, of looking at that relationship. And I do think that, you know, she, she feels conned by him. Um, and again, I, I wish in the same way I wish with everyone, I wish Paul had been in the podcast because Maybe there is a part of his story we don't understand. And, you know, as a human being, I would hope to give another human being a chance to respond to that. But we give you a chance to respond and you say, you know, no, these are the conditions. 
that are that no one would agree to. Right. And you know, then it's it's. I hate that there's no right of reply. I, I wish there's always a right of reply, but you know, he 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 made his bed and he's kind of sleeping it now. And and I think the other part of this story that I find really interesting is there are a lot of. I'm gonna pick this word wisely. There are a lot of. Uh, Take your time. (laughs) There are a lot of imperfect men in this story. Yep. Both people in the story and surrounding the story that we didn't interview. I would have said shitty, but okay. (laughs) That's the word I would have used. And yet, pretty much across the board, none of them have been held responsible for anything. Yep. But Maria Butina is the one who ends up in prison. And I don't think it's incidental <laughs> to the whole larger picture of the story. And, and whether Maria deserved to be in prison or not, to me is almost a separate question. But why does nothing stick to Paul Erickson? Why does nothing stick to, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I bring this up in the podcast and it's important to me, you know, this, this, this point in the prosecution when, the prosecutors allege that Maria traded sex for information. And then the judge says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I looked at this for five minutes and realized that wasn't true. I think it's re- that is really important to me because when you say to someone, hey, do you know Maria Butina? Which has been a lit- litmus test for me for the past two years. <laughs> Either people say no, or they say, oh, you mean that redhead who slept with all those old guys? That's how Maria Butina is remembered. And all of the media did push that narrative forward and then sort of had to dial it back when it got pulled out, but it's still the thing we remember. And I think it's, you know, you have a a guy in the White House talking about grabbing women by the pussy who doesn't get held responsible for it. You've got all these men doing all these things. And and it's Maria who we talk about, well, she slept with something, her boyfriend was 30 years older than her. Like, come on, you know, any guy who has a girlfriend- Right. A girlfriend who's 30 years younger. And I also think, you know, like, I do think Maria Butina loved Paul Erickson. You know, like, you don't stay with that guy <laughs> unless you love him. You know, you have a lot of other options. I think it's, it's why, I mean, Maria is just so complicated. Uh, things on the surface, things on the surface for all of these people don't make sense. They don't add up to what their narratives should or are supposed to be. Um, and I think that's the hardest part is, is figuring out what to make of things that don't make sense in the story. There's a lot of things that don't make sense, but it, that's an interesting point you raise about her going to prison. Cause I was looking at this a couple of weeks ago, I was writing something and it wound up being something else, trying to calculate all these people that have done wrong and how much prison time they actually served. And Manafort was in prison for just under 698 days. He was actually in prison. Then he got sent home for the COVID thing. And he's the longest. And after that, I think I think she's the second longest. And she's not even really a, she's a Russian, like assuming that she is a Russian spy and that's what she is. And I'm not even, she's just doing her job. You know, it, it, if you think about it in that sense. So she, it's almost like this doesn't count for her, but a couple weeks ago, I had Jen Taub on who wrote a, a big dirty money about money laundering. 
and one of the points in there is that my god these white collar criminals almost never get caught they almost never go to jail sometimes they have to pay fines and i said you know if i name you know name someone who is famous for getting caught for inside trading and going to prison it's martha stewart even though technically what she lied to them whatever but it's that's what people think so again it's it's the woman who gets gets leona helmsley it's martha stewart it's never Donald Trump. And it's like, really? This is, the, this is the best we can do? I mean, come on. So that that's a good point. I had not thought of that, but you're absolutely right. You know. Well, I just, I wonder too, you know, if, if and, and this goes both ways, right? You know, like Bob Driscoll loves to say, if Maria Butina was French and her cause was climate change, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> On the one hand, that's true and interesting, you know, like she does fit this role of a femme fatale, red sparrow, you know, if she wasn't this beautiful Russian redhead, would we care as much? No, I don't think we would. But on the other hand, she is Russian and her cause is guns. And you can't, you can't just, you know, sort of forget that. But I do think there is something and I, I talk about this in the podcast, you know, Maria Butina and Bob says it too, is a striver. I think Maria, more than anything else in the world, wants to be famous. I think that's what drives almost every one of Maria Butina's actions, is a desire to be seen and a desire to be famous. I mean, that incredible Russian GQ spread she did with the, with the guns and the, you know, the, the leather outfits. And I, I don't know that I've made up my mind about whether that's it. That it's, that it's just that she wants fame and fortune. I also think, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but you know, she, she changed, she was a different Maria when she was in the US than she is. The way she spoke to me is different than, than it, it was when she was back in Russia. Yeah, so talk about that because that's, that's a, good, a good place to land here. Have you been in touch with her? I mean, after the podcast is out, like what, you know, what's going on there? It's interesting. I have not really talked to Maria since the podcast has come out. Um, you know, we've like I let her know when it was coming out. She couldn't access it in Russia originally. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. So I was sending her the the wave files of the episodes, but then she figured out a way to access it. I, I know she's heard all of it. Um, I know she's generally okay with it. Okay. <laughs> I don't think she uh, I'm not surprised she's not over the moon with it. Um, but I think too, you know, the, the difference, and I talk about this a little bit in the podcast, but when we, our last conversation before she went back, she said, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go home to Siberia. I'm going to lead a quiet life. I'm going to join the seminary. I'm going to be a teacher. <laughs> that is not what Maria Butina did. Um, and so I have, I have questioned that a lot and sort of what's the explanation for that. And that is almost the most fascinating part of it for me because I don't know that I will ever know, and it certainly is outside the sort of purview of the podcast, but is someone in Russia saying you have to do these things? Right, yeah, yeah. Or is this what she wants to do? And, you know, Bob Driscoll has also said, he told her, look, if you go back and I see you on a, a Russian podcast or a Russian TV show saying I'm the worst guy in the world, I'll understand you're a Russian now. And I think, you know, there is that sort of like, who is, you know, and, and I thought about it when I was interviewing her, she was always in her house, I think, doing the interview, but like, was there ever someone there? Yeah. I was, I was always aware that like, 
she could have had her phone next to the calls recording as I was recording. You know, I, I don't know what the setup was. I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see Carrie Johnson also says this, but this story isn't over. Yeah. Like in 10 years, I think maybe five years, maybe one year, we'll, we'll have a whole nother, you know, I think it's, it's, it's proof of, we thought this was a past 10 story we were telling and lots of things happened just in the year we, we made it. Well, now, you know, she's, she's last seen as far as I know, trolling poor Alexei Navalny in prison, which is not a good look. No, not a good, not a good look. And, and not, I mean, so many things are not a good look, you know, the, 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 the picture she posted on Instagram uh, with Anna Chapman that she then deleted off of Instagram. Not a good look, Maria, no. <laughs> you know? And I think, you know, I've, I've talked to this before, but Maria likes to stir the pot. You know, I, I asked her about that picture and she said, yeah, you should be worried about that picture. <laughs> Maria, come on, <laughs> you know, you're not doing a very good job of convincing people, you know, you're innocent if you are. Um, and I also think, you know, it's, it's worth saying that Maria, the way Maria says it is, I'm no mother, mother Teresa. Yeah. And I think that's true. And I think, but we do have to separate, I think, you know, do you like a person? Would you want to get a, a drink with them? Right. <laughs> From, you know, are they guilty of X, Y, Z? Um, and I think the starting place that was really interesting for me was, and Pete Strzok says it, Maria Bettina was not charged with espionage. Yep. So, you know, we've got a story where, the inherent question is, is Maria Butina a spy? And Maria Butina wasn't charged with espionage. So that's a difficult place to start to begin with. And then, you know, we dig into all of this in the podcast, but, um, you know, influence operations uh, versus intelligence operations and, you know, understanding the nitty gritty of that and also understanding, and I'm, I'm glad Pete was there to explain some of this, you know, the history of how Russia has used spies before right. and, you know, the way in which that works. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, her career as a spy is clearly over because she, it's not like she can come back here now and do it again. You know, that, that's not going to happen. Um, I, I think even with Paul Erickson out of prison, I don't think that they're going to like elope to Finland or something. I think that's probably over. Paul's going to have to find somebody else. Sad trombone. Um, and like you said, in Russia, God knows what she will have to do to, you know, stay in the good graces of the, the horrible regime there. Um, she now is famous. She's she's internationally famous. She's one of the most famous Russians, I think. You know, uh, certainly one of the most famous Russian women. Now it's her and Pussy Riot, right? So, and she's the one that's on the wrong side, you know. And if she wants to stay relevant, she's going to have to play the game over there. And it's hard to know until the dictator is gone, who winds up being a little bit liberal, who winds up being a little bit not. Was it Patrick Byrne that said he wanted uh, her to be president of Russia someday? I don't know if that's going to happen, but I expect that if it does, he'll have plenty of furniture to uh, <laughs> send her away. <laughs> to, to, yeah, to furnish her, her presidential mansion. Yeah. Um, so again, it's called Spy Affair. It's on Wonderly, which is a fun word to say, right? Wonderly? Wondery. Wondery. I'm going to say it again. That's why it's fun to say, because I'm saying it wrong. It's, it's Wondery, which is really Wonder Why, right? Because it's like Wonder Why. There's a there's a, um, a Wonder Why ranch down the road here. So, okay, I get it now. It's finally, everything's clicking now. 
Wondery is actually, if you, if, if you use the cipher, it's how Maria communicates with it. No, I'm joking. Um, so anyway, when you get off listening to this podcast, please go subscribe, Spy Fair, and listen to it. It's not even that long. It's like six episodes. It's really good. Last question. What's next for you? I know we talked about this a little before, and you're not allowed to say anything, but is there anything that you can say that we can look out for? Uh, well, I have a eight part podcast that's coming out towards the end of the year. Um, I can't tell you what that's about, but it's coming November, December. Um, I have a few documentaries that are coming out. Um, gosh, not a lot really announced that I can, can talk about yet. Um, but, but it's all coming. <laughs> and, uh, um, I think the, 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 the next podcast that's coming, um, equally has a complicated individual at its center. Okay, that's good. And you told me the tiniest bit about it. And I can say that people listening to this podcast will want to listen to that podcast. I think there's there's a lot of overlap there audience wise. So um, you'll let us know when that's ready and I will uh, trumpet it for you. Um, Celia Anaskovich, thank you so much for taking the time. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you. Can I ask you one question? Absolutely. Well, I have to ask you, because it's the way I end every conversation, who do you think Maria Butina is? I think she's a really good furniture salesman. No, I, I, <laughs> I think what you said just now hits it on the head. I think you're right. I think she wants to be famous. I think she, I think the key aspects to her are, okay, I'm living in Siberia. We say Siberia. She's from, I forget the name of the city, but it's an actual city with a lot of people in it that looks pretty nice. It's not like she's in the woods, right? But yeah. she's living in this lesser Russian city, far removed from the, the halls of power. How is she going to make a name for herself? She wants to do something. She wants to change the world, as Patrick keeps saying. I think that's probably true. I don't think she much cares how. I think a lot of that is just whatever. I think the Disney stuff is really telling because that's you're creating this fantasy and this, I am Prince Charming, I am Snow White, I am Ariel, and my, here's my voice. She even looks like Ariel now that I think about it. All she needs is a little mermaid fin there. And I think that's what it's about. And now her pivot when she's back in Russia is, you know, I'm just gonna do what I need to do to stay relevant and stay on TV. So basically she's like the Russian Caitlyn Jenner at this point, you know. I like that, Russian Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> Which means she'll be the governor of California in about 25 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, have, we have not seen the last of Maria, that is for sure. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. Celia, thanks so much. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sofia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signet Della, Stephanie St. John, and Ryan Byrne, History Falls Apart. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Visit gregoliar.com, G-R-E-G-O-L-E-A-R.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Thanks for listening, drive safely, and don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. W.